At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. You ready? I'm ready. All right, guys. Welcome to the Full Blast Podcast. I'm Jeff Fader, and I'm here with my good friend, Chris Zepieri. Chris Zepieri. pronunciation there. <laughs> Chris Epps here. Make Everything Shop. I listened to another We'll talk about that later. So Chris Epps here for Make Everything Shop. Before we talk to him, take care of a little business, what do you say? Number one, Broadbeck Ironworks has just come out with this bevel table that I just received in the mail, and it is dynamite. It fits on your adjustable uh, work rest for your 2x72 grinder, and it's great. It's a totally a great attachment. Once again, Broadbeck Ironworks makes these parts and these attachments that make your make it your life easier if you're using a 2x72 grinder. You're a knife maker, you're a metal worker, you're a sculptor, you're a woodworker, it don't matter. But I tell you what, they're constantly coming up with things that are very user-friendly and easy to use. And also, a lot of their attachments are, uh, you can use it on other machines. If you have a chassis, as long as it has a inch by half uh, arm, a bar, square bar, you can pretty much retrofit everything to the, to for their parts. And you should definitely try it out. And if you go to broadbeckironworks.com, you can put in the promo code Knife Talk 200, and you get $200 off any of their grinder packages. Those are the, they have packages for the grinders plus the maybe the VFD, a couple, couple extra parts and stuff like that. So 200 bucks off for Knife Talk 200. And if you're interested in their new sharpening system, their surface grinder, and their leather sewing machine, if you put in the promo code Knife Talk 100, you get $100 off of that. So I'm, I'm I love these guys. Uh, uh, they're great. Vince and Ryan were on. Uh, I had a great podcast with them. If you want to hear more about the backstory of Broadback Ironworks, definitely listen to that. And uh, I'm really appreciative of everything they do. They're, they're uh, great guys. So BroadbackIronworks.com. Next is Even Heat, manufacturers of the finest heat treat ovens available. Go definitely check out their ovens and their kilns, I should say, at uh, evenheat-kiln.com. And you can, say, you can say, well, what do I need this for? Well, if you're making tools, you're making knives, you're making swords, you're making pottery, anything needs to be kind of brought to its critical temperature so you can turn austenite into martensite, get yourself an even heat kiln, especially if you're doing stainless on we're on knife talk. We get a ton of questions about stainless out of a forge. If you don't have a kiln, you're really kind of wasting a lot of time. So get yourself one of them even heats and um, don't play. Then they're great guys. And if you have questions, if you had a question about a kiln, maybe this is right for me, this is right for you, call them up. The, everyone who answers the phone in Even Heat are the best. And they have they're very helpful if you have any questions about maybe, you know, talk you know, see, should I get this 120? Should I get the 220? What should I do? talk to them? They're great people, and their website's very good. And and uh, I love these guys. I, Spence and his family are fantastic. I got something to say about Even Heat, Jeff. Go ahead. On it. I, I actually, so I'm a big Even Heat supporter as well. And I just recently saw uh, my friend Tony Rouleau, Hillview uh, Tool. He makes those amazing squares. He just posted the other day that he uses his heat treating oven 
with like brass and he puts the brass in there and I guess heats it up and then lets it cool and it keeps it from curling when he's milling it. Huh. And I've had that problem before with brass and with other metals and I never thought to like, you know, when you think when you buy brand new material from like any source that it's ready to work, right? But having one of those ovens can help you even if you're just trying to make, you know, precision parts, a machinist. Now and now Jeff Fader, you are a machinist cuz you have a milling machine which we'll talk to but yeah i think the even heat oven is something that every shop needs i'm gonna just tell you that the, the, i'm gonna name a couple of knife makers that i know offhand who have even eats and i'm gonna and if it's good enough for them it's good enough for you <laughs> mareko momasi has an even heat nick Anger has an even heat uh who else do i know <laughs> I got a jimmy duresta jimmy's got an even the heat. there's a ton of people who have even heats and uh charlie lionheart's got an even heat these are some of the best of the best i know uh salem straub is an even heat if these are the if it's good enough for them it's good enough for you trust me all right so even heat go get yourself an even heat you heard what he, you heard what chris had to say you heard what i had to say that's the way it is next is axe wax axe wax all natural food save wax for your axe I know what you're saying. Well, what do I need? I don't, I don't have an axe. Well, maybe you have a culinary knives. Maybe you have hammer handles. Maybe you have wood. Maybe you have leather. Maybe you have something that needs to be conditioned. I love Axe Wax All Natural Food Safe. For my culinary knives, I love using Axe Wax because I know that when I send culinary knives or steak knives or something that people's hands are on, they're going to maybe be cooking with, I feel comfortable with the fact that it's all natural food safe and it finishes great. So go to axewax.us, put in the promo code FULLBLAST10, you're going to get 10% off your order. If you're in the UK, UK Knife Supplies, they're taking Full Blast 10. Uh, if you're in the EU, knifematerial.at, they're taking Full Blast 10. If you're in Australia, you can do Gamico. That's artisansupply.com. They're taking Full Blast 10. And my next sponsor, nordicedge.com.eu, is taking, my, is taking Full Blast 10. And let me tell you, I love this stuff. And Noah's great. It's a small business. And listen, it seems like everyone's coming out with their own waxes these days. And I'm sticking with Axe Wax because he's a fucking good dude. And I don't know if that's part of the ad read, but I'm just saying the way it is. It, 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 he's, he, they do a great job over there. So get yourself some of that Axe Wax. And that brings me into NordicEdge.com. NordicEdge.com are uh, knife. They are. It's a knife making company, knife tool. It's a supply company in Australia, and they're based in Australia. You might have seen them at the Blade Show in Atlanta. Their Nordic Edge tools are also supplied at um, Maritime Knife Supplies, and they make they make uh, abrasive. They have abrasives, grinders, tooling kits, parts hammers, all sorts of stuff if you're in Australia to get yourself squared away from seasoned vets to beginners. And let's say you're listening to this and you're just like, well, I don't even make knives, but I want to learn. I don't want to get it. Uh, I'm not ready for a kiln yet. So they can get, you can get the parts. You can get a, a heat-treated ground knife that you can just finish up, clean it up, make it the way you want to make it, slap some scales on it. They have all this stuff for that. And they also have the new Big Mert File Guide, the Big Mert File Guide, Mert Tansu. And Nordic Edge did a collaboration. They made a file guide, which is awesome for your plunge lines, with screw-on carbides. And they are available at knifekits.com. And it's a bigger file guide, which is great for, you know, if you, it's wide. So if you're, you know, if you're doing like integral bolsters or something big, get yourself one of them big merts. You know what I'm saying? But uh, nordicedge.com.au, they have awesome stuff. Uh, they supported our friend Kev Slattery when he was going through his, uh, back surgery situation and um, Bjorn and, and Jamie are the best. I, I appreciate their support. So nordicedge.com.au. Go follow them on Instagram, nordic underscore edge. And 
Where else are we? We're also we're also sponsored by Maritime Knife Supply. Maritime Knife Supply is all your knife making needs if you're in Canada or the United States. Belts, abrasives, steels, kilns, forges, presses, heat treating ovens, anvils, and anything else you need to get started or resupplied, including axe wax, including brooches, including anything you think you need. And if they don't have what you think you need, send a message to Lawrence, and I'm sure you'll get it because he's a knife maker too. He's very involved with the New England School of Metalwork. And he is listening to knife makers, and he sells stuff in the United States. He sells stuff in Canada. Uh, if you think oh, I'm in Tennessee, what do I need to get something from Canada for? All right, well, he might have something in the if the speed in which he gets it to you is just as quick as anywhere else. I don't know how he does it. I don't ask him. It's his pro. That's his business, and you don't have to ask him either. Don't worry about it. But if you go to MaritimeKnifeSupply.ca, check out what they have. They have lots of steel. And if you get their 10-pack of abrasive belts, you're going to get 10% off, which is great. So go get yourself some of that Maritime Knife Supply. Hey, you know what? Why don't you get some of the TR Maker stuff? TR Maker's out in Turkey. They're going through it. And I'm sure I'm sure if you bought some TR Maker stuff uh, from uh, Maritime Knife Supply, it would be good for you and it's greatest stuff. I have some of his, I have some of the TR Maker stuff, and I think it's awesome. So sending our best out to Turkey and TR Maker. Next is the Stable Rail Knife Finishing Vice from our friends at Trojan Horse Forge. These are the best vices around. Not only can you use it for finishing off your handles, but you can put slap a plate on the bottom covered in, in, in rubber. It'll support your blade for hand sanding. Everyone loves to hand sand. If you're going to do it, you might as well be it, doing it in comfort. So get yourself some of that uh, Trojan Horse Stable Rail Knife Finishing Vice built in the heart of Texas. And uh, these vice are designed to take your handle finishing to a whole new level. Uh, it's a great system. I have a couple of them, and I'm amazed at how well built they are. I'm also amazed that when they, it, arrives, it arrives in a bomb-proof case with pins for put you know for handling all your different types of knives you're saying well you know a knife finishing well you got a integral bolster well you can move the 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 plate down and then it supports your integral bolster oh i got to make a kirkery what am i going to do with this curved blade i'm making a kukery ah don't worry about it you turn a couple of bolts and next thing you know it's still it's still uh supporting your knife so Definitely go get yourself one of them stable rail knife finishing vices over at TrojanHorseForge.com. And if you put in the promo code Full Blast, you're going to get free shipping in the United States. And you're going to say to yourself, well, you know, I just spent all this money on Valentine's Day for my, my significant other. Well, she's going to notice I just spent a pile on this money finishing vice. They take payment plans, my man. Take payment plans. Don't worry. No, she'll never know. Shh. Or he'll never know. No one will ever know because you can do a payment plans. Don't worry about that. So go get yourself some of that. Uh, stable rail knife finishing vice from the Trojan Horse Forge. And last but certainly not least, Total Boat, baby. Total Boat makes adhesives, paints, primers, polishing compounds, all the stuff that you need to keep your boat afloat and to make river tables and to make anything for the epoxies. Any, I just actually, I've been using for my new Cosmic Drift handles. I've been, embed, I've been bedding my tangs. Now, don't worry about that. You listen to Knife Talk to find out what bedding your tang is. I adhere the blades to the handles with Total Boat, and I love it. it. It it hardens terrific. They sell it in pumps. They also have dyes. If you want to pigment your, you know, I like to dye my epoxy because I need maybe I need a black or I need a red or I need a blue or something like that. They have all the. They sent me all the all the all the dyes. They're great. And if you go to uh, Total Boat put in the promo code Full Blast Ten, you're gonna get ten percent off your order. Listen, I use the UV Cure resin all the time. Feeling cracks, feeling little problems. You give it a little bit of a little couple drops, hit it with the UV flashlight, bingo, bango, bongo. It's good enough for Keith Decent, Derek from Malden, Keith Mitchell, Keith Johnson, 
And Jimmy Duressa, you know what Jimmy Duressa's doing? He's taking any dead animal he finds on the road and sticking it in two-part epoxy. He's making sculptures out of it. I mean, he can't make it up. But if it's good oh, enough... Oh, God. I mean, seriously, he's, <laughs> he's grabbing anything he finds dead on the road. He's just making a... Pouring a batch of total boat and shoving it in. Making a chair out of it. A chair out of his roadkill. Good, good enough for him. I'm, I Recycling. support it. You know what I'm saying? Am I wrong? You're not wrong. How many things at, is he turning? How many dead animals is he turn into something? I was at Jimmy's shop with my buddy Anthony Panza like two weeks ago, and we walked past his table that's got all his stuff in it, and one of them is his, like a dead muskrat. Yeah. And he goes, "That's not real, right?" And I go, "Oh no, it's really found it under the deck." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's has been his whole bit. I've been I've been raking him over the coals for for months about this. Anytime I do a, a total boat read, I'm like, yeah, "Jimmy's Jimmy's you know, don't I just whatever you do, don't die in a shop. He'll you know, put you in it too." So go get yourself some of that Total Boat. Guys, Total Boat, baby. TotalBoat.com. Put them code, full blast 10. 10% off. I'm with you. All right, listen, guys. My next guest is a fascinating character. One of my close friends, Chris Zeppieri, who might be the most interesting person on this planet. Not only will he make everything at his shop, he can make anything at his shop whether you're watching his youtube following him on instagram watching him on various tv shows listening him on to some fleabag podcasts you have to know that chris zepp is one of the greatest people out of long island period end of story chris how are you i'm great jeff how are you was that the was that a better introduction that than was you gotten that was that was good. That might be the best. That that that's uh, dethroned the last one. Okay, good. I just wanted to make sure. I heard I heard you were on a podcast. You did a very good job on it. It's the Maker's Lounge. I'm with you, Maker's Lounge. I'm saluting you from here. That's just some friendly radio banter. I'm not doing. We're not. I'm not giving you fritz. I'm just. I'm just sending you. You know, a little shot across the bow. Yeah, you said it was the best. The best. As soon as I heard, you said it was the best interview. And this is the kind of piece of shit I am. The first. As soon as I heard you say that was the best introduction I've ever had, I'm like, God damn it! He forgot he was on this fucking show. So and that's why I'm, I'm back. Up. That's why you're back. How you been? I've been good, man. It's been a busy. I, I I literally looked up and it's the middle of February somehow. It's incredible that uh, you know, it's gone. This year's been going fast. How great has the winter been here? Uh, I don't I don't want to jinx it, but man, I am I am happy. Uh, it's like this has been the best winter in terms of weather New York has seen in a long time. And now you're weather. You're very weather aware. Mm-hmm. No one's oh, more yeah. weather aware than don't die, stay dry. Mm-hmm. I cannot take how my wife is about to fly out to Wisconsin where there's eight feet of snow to visit her family. <laughs> and I'm just like, she's like, you sure you don't want to go? And I'm like, yeah, I really don't want to go. Uh, and it's because she told me, she said about the eight feet of snow. I'm like, why would I want that in my life? Yeah. It's funny because I, you know, I usually, I mean, snow is just a pain for everybody to deal with in, in New York. And every year I'm like, oh, you know, like, it'll snow and I'll deal with it and whatever this year before the winter, I thought, I'll, you know, I want to have, I want to have some projects around the snow. So I, I got this like small motorcycle and I built this like snow street bike trike thing. And it was on my channel and YouTube. That thing has been built for like almost a month and a half. And it finally got to the point where I was like, I just have to spend a whole day and drive upstate because if I snow. don't, 
Yeah, because there's no freaking snow. And I, in my mind, like the reason I built it the way I did, like, and a bunch of people made stupid comments about how like the front wheel should be a ski. And I, I built it the way that I did because I wanted to be able to ride it in like the same kind of weather that you would get in the winter where like there's snow on the ground in the street, but it's not deep snow, you it's know, packed. like that, that it's like a packed, like two or three inches of snow. And, you know, uh, so I thought it'd be fun to have this like all terrain sort of vehicle with a front tire and tracks. And then it never snowed. And then uh, literally, and it's funny because when, when I finally did have the time to go upstate on the way up there, it was like a pretty sunny day. And as I was driving up there, I'm like, oh shit, there isn't even that much snow up here. Like, I'm not going to even be able to try this thing. I'm going to have to drive to freaking Canada to try this thing out. And uh, it's just, of course, only because I prepared for a winter that there was like no snow this winter. But hey, if we get out of it and this is uh, and this is the start of the other the other side, you know, it's a beautiful day, like 50 something degrees today. I will not be complaining. Oh, this is like, you know, that, that, you know, what's interesting, too, is and I wanted to talk to you about being a New Yorker. There's not that many native New Yorkers. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that when you said the guy said, yeah, you should put a ski on the end of the. So so, so mm-hmm. to, to, to the backstory, if you're not following Chris, I mean, everyone's following Chris. He took a motorcycle, like a dirt bike, and then you took the back wheel off and then you put explain what it is. Yeah. So. Uh, if anybody's familiar with a, a Honda Grom, so a Honda Grom or a, a Kawasaki a Z125, it's like a small street bike. It's basically just like a scaled down street bike. And I had the idea, I, I I was looking around on Amazon for snow tracks to put on something, like any sort of vehicle. And I found these ones that were meant to go on the back of like a quad or like a go-kart. And they're small. So I thought, oh, I'll buy those. And then I converted the rear the rear drive on this, you know, two wheeled motorcycle into basically a trike with a floating axle on a bearing. And, um, it's super fun to ride. It's probably the most fun thing I've ever built and most fun thing I've ever ridden because it's really stable. It's basically a snow tricycle with a 125 CC motor on it. And, um, I left, you know, as we were saying, I, I took the street tire off the front and I put like a knob, a knobby kind of a mud tire on it so that if you got off of the snow and onto pavement, you wouldn't just destroy the ski. The idea was that it was kind of like ride it in the street, ride it on the snow. Maybe, you know, in my town, they plow the main streets and they don't really plow the side streets. So, you know, you would want to be able to ride it everywhere. Um, And it was supposed to be like a New York thing. My buddy, uh, Anthony Panza, who I do a bunch of projects with was going to take it into the city if we got you know a big snowstorm and do like the crazy kind of you know willy boy stuff yeah. all around manhattan um and then that just never happened <laughs> it's like it's uh it's all over well that's when you when you originally said that the guy made a comment saying you should put a ski on it i said well that guy is not from new york no because he's one not. of the things when you plow <laughs> when you plow when the in new york city the winters in new york city are crazy yep because number one is everyone stays inside the mm-hmm. snow plows don't really take off the snow off the pe- the pavement, so they mm-hmm. pack it down, and then they, while the snow gets you know piled on the the cars that are parked, so p- cars get are, were on the sides of the street get completely you know covered, and you know and then they freeze over, and then you have like an, your 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 car is gone. There have been stories of people dying, your cab drivers who've taken a nap, then the goddamn snow plow goes past them. And then it covers their car and they suffocate in the car. Yep. 
So yeah. the what I I would think that in New York City, so I'm, in my mind, I'm already picturing like going down um, going down Second Avenue because it's got like five, it's got like four lanes. It's mm-hmm. it's a wider lane, and I could I can imagine like right after a snowplow, you could just do whatever you wanted because there's not going to be anybody down there. Yep. Yeah, and there's been videos of like Casey Neistat and a couple other guys like being towed in New York City on like with a snowboard. Like Casey Neistat has like a famous uh YouTube video where he gets towed behind a Jeep, you know, in his full snowboard gear uh, and it's snowing and there's, you know, the thing about the plows in in the city and and where I live is if it's still snowing, they usually don't really come out. Like they wait until it's over. Right. So if you went in the middle of kind of like a daytime call it a blizzard you could have a ton of fun on this you know motorcycle with the snow tracks that i built and uh even the one day we got to ride it like uh you know sorry jimmy we destroyed his lawn um by just like ripping it around in the snow but anyway uh i i won't be mad if from this point forward it just continues to get warmer and the days get longer because that's the other thing i can't stand the the early sunset just like kills me it, well, it, it ruins everything it's for me. Brutal. Fourth. It used to it, a couple like a month ago. It was like four o'clock. It starts to get mm-hmm. dark. It's just like it's just, it's it, it's demoralizing. Yep. But, Especially for me because I'm like a I'm like a two you know like I work a kind of a double shift right like during the day I'm I'm sitting at my desk working in, at my day job and then I usually don't get to my shop until after five anyway. So it's like to get to my shop after five, it's like, even if I got to take out the garbage, I got to do it with a freaking headlamp on. Cause it's so dark, you know, at, at five thirty, it's the worst. Ugh. Ugh. I, I, well, one thing is, is about that. I, I love what you do with Anthony Panza. I love one of the things that was totally great to see was you took some three city bikes. Those are, you mm-hmm. know, if you're in most cities, you have these electric bikes that are, you know, for your rent, and then you have these areas where you drop them, you know, you, you park them and then you swipe your credit card and then you get to rent it and drop it off in another location. You took three of them and welded, welded them together, which was awesome. How did you guys get those bikes? Or should we not talk about that? Well, we could talk about it. I mean, he, so, you know, those city bikes, when someone takes them out of the, out of the dock, right? Like it's associated with their you know, their credit card, right. their account or whatever. So they, and they're, and they only are where they only are supposed to exist like within range of the docks. So he constantly is all over like New York, Brooklyn, Queens, uh, Staten Island, New Jersey. And they're just randomly all over the place. So the, there's we'll a guy out. that he knows. Abandoned. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like you'll find he'll find one on like the side of the bell parkway, you know, with like two flat tires and like no handlebars, right. you know? So he'll pick them out of the trash or he'll find them like in a dumpster or he'll go to a recycling place that's doing scrap cause they're aluminum. So they're kind of valuable from a, from a metal standpoint. And, uh, you know, he'll basically get them out of scrap. And then the ones that we cut up were all like totally toast. You know, so uh, that's where we got them, and um, you know, so far so good. That that video got so much attention uh, all over the internet. I mean, like every like New York, um, In New York Instagram New York page Nico. posted about it. Yeah, yeah I mean, um, and rightfully so. Like, I I love that thing. I think that's like the most New York City thing you could have. City bikes. You know, for those that don't know, like. New York City and the city bikes are like a love-hate relationship because if you live in the city, they're great. You can hop on a bike and you can, 
it's like 120 bucks a year or something like that. And you can just take the bikes out of the dock, ride them to the next dock and drop them off. But if you drive in New York City, they are the worst thing that ever happened to Manhattan because they constantly are taking away parking spots to put in the docking stations. Right. So I feel like to to that that solves the problem, right? So now you've got the commuter bike, but it holds three people instead of one person. You know, it, it's triple uh, triple effective. And every time he rides it around, he just gets the craziest reactions. And people think that it's like a new city bike program. You know, like people love love this thing. Uh, he actually was approached by like a network to do basically like a show around him riding around the city on the city bike conducting interviews with people like on the bike um and uh you know it's i feel like when we finished it it was just getting really cold out because i remember when we shot the final shots of it it was like freezing so i think in the spring when he brings it out again it's gonna go just like super super viral again which i'm happy for him i hope it i hope it keeps uh keeps going you know i love seeing what you might I'm at the age now where my daughter, 18, we communicate through Instagram. She and mm -hmm. I communicate through Instagram. So she'll send me something that maybe she wants me to cook for dinner or she'll think I'll like. We send all my, my, my wife and my daughter and I, we, we, we love all the New York uh, inter, Instagram websites. You know, you're and, and New York Nico and, mm -hmm. and all the New York websites. And the cool thing was, was I got to, my daughter says, hey, did you see this? And she sent it to me. I'm like, yeah, fucking Chris that made it. Like she's like, what? I said, my friend made it. Goes, I, I walk around with the don't. I said, you know the shirts I wear that say don't die. He made that bike. And she goes, really? I'm like, yeah. She's like, is he famous? I'm like, yeah, he's famous. It was awesome because it was just like it was like a a very New York thing seeing that like embraced by this New York culture. Yeah, it's funny because I, I've talked about this in the past. So like. I love those projects and I, I had a lot of fun building that bike. Like for me, it was super challenging, you know, like all aluminum. I TIG welded the whole thing, you know, it's straight, it works perfect. Like it, it couldn't have come out better. And to me as like a fabricator, it was a great challenge, you right. know, it was such a fun. And, uh, you know, for those that don't know, like I have an art and sculpture background, you know, similar to you. So to have that, you know, sculptural kind of experience of like, you know, making this thing fit together and work was amazing. And then I've said this a million times, but those videos on my YouTube channel just get zero traction with my audience. Like that video, nobody watched. It doesn't have like any views in relation to some of my more successful videos or projects. But then, you know, you go on Instagram and it's, you know, got there's millions of views across the the platform and and none of them are really credited to me as the builder really they're more right. focused around the object itself which is fine i'm i'm totally cool with that but it's just so funny because the projects that i that i have the most fun on sometimes are the ones that uh have the least return you know you mean like the like that vice you just posted that uh well, that, that one people seem to like <laughs> yeah so, so if you don't if you don't know so in, craig, uh, craig. Chris has got an awesome uh, Instagrams, Make Everything Shop, and you post a lot of great content that's like shop related, project related, but then a lot of it's tool finds. Mm -hmm. And you found this vice. Talk about this vice. Yeah, so so it's it's funny. Uh, I do. I really like stepped in gold with that. So I got this vice. It's a it's called an adaptive jaw vice, and it's it's not. I mean. It didn't look like, I mean, it looked cool when I found it. And the way I found it is I'm in this like bench vices group on Facebook. And um, 
I happened to pop on it one day and this guy in Vermont was like, hey, selling this vice, $120 plus shipping. And I'm like, okay. So I'm like, hey, I'll I'll buy it. How much do you think shipping is going to be? He's like, oh, 25 bucks. So I, I PayPal the guy 150 bucks and the vice comes in. I, I actually had, I didn't like instantly buy it. I thought about it. And for some reason, nobody else in the group, you know, there's like 10,000 people in this group and nobody else saw it. So I bought it and then, you know, the comments then on his post were like, then it popped up where people were like, oh my God, I want to buy it. Like, whoa, 125 bucks is too cheap. You should have done an auction, blah, blah, oh, blah. No. But I had already gotten it and the guy just had already shipped it. So I was like, okay, well, I got it first. This is great and it's a cool vice. And in my head, I'm like, oh, well, the, you know, people, I think there's a large a large population of people on, on social media now that are, they're just collectors. Right. And I don't think there's anything wrong with being a collector. I think that most things that you can collect are not things that you get to use, you know, like, right. uh, but tools, you get to use them and I don't collect not to use them. So I was, I thought like, I'm going to get great use out of this thing. Like, it'll be great to have you know, to grab odd shaped parts and whatever. So, so to give some background on it, it's basically a vice that has, instead of a solid jaw, it has basically like little fingers that, that move uh, around whatever the object is. And man, it has gone so viral across Instagram and Facebook. And then some guy stole my videos and posted them on Reddit and they went crazy on Reddit, like huh. 20,000 upvotes on Reddit. And then, um, there's people, um, there's people posting, reposting my videos on TikTok, getting hundreds of thousands and millions of views, and and then of course like everybody sends me DMs like, hey, this guy stole your video, yeah. and um, I mean it's it's fine because uh, I think that the videos are are almost like a little teaser, and then if you want to learn more, you're gonna find my content anyway, because at the end my videos that I've posted probably have the most views uh of all of those so anyway it's gone super viral and then uh i did a restoration video on my youtube which did really well but still on on instagram and facebook it just it's crazy and uh i feel like i could just you know kind of keep posting videos about it until uh everybody stops following me but it, it blew my instagram up which was pretty cool and you know help me make a little bit of money. So the way that I always look at it is like some videos do well and some videos don't do well. And if you just keep being consistent, the ones that do well will kind of outpace the ones that don't. And they'll all sort of just like pay the bills, you know? What do you think about that particular vice made it so interesting? I think it's because like nobody'd ever seen one like this before. And it's funny because when I bought it, I had never seen one before. And then I tried to do research on it. And I have like a couple of good kind of avenues to do research that, you know, I mean, they're accessible to everybody, but, you know, I don't know that everyone uses them like the Google Books Archive, which is where somebody like uh, Eric from Hand Tool Rescue finds a lot of like patents and stuff. And there isn't a shred of information on this vice made at least by this company. And I think that it's just such a unique design. It's like... So for those that haven't seen the video, basically it's little metal fingers that are um, 
given tension by a, a, a reservoir filled with steel ball bearings. And basically, as the fingers move in, they displace the ball bearings like water and move them out of the way into other locations. And it's it's so ingenious. And I think that's part of the reason that people are drawn to it, because it's like it's it's such a simple design and it's old. It's like 70 or 80 years old. And I think it's just it resonates with people that are interested in mechanics and also in, interested in tools. I think it's also. I thought about it because I was, I was kind of just while we were, I was waiting for it, I was just scrolling through, and I was like, "Whoa, that's a that's a that's a big number, mm-hmm. you know, like eleven million views or something like that, or something mm-hmm. like, something like that." And and it's because you took the plate off so people could see yep. the ball bearings, or the BBs, or whatever. Yeah. And I felt as though uh, there's not eleven million, you know, mechanical engineers, mechanical people looking at it. It's just regular people. Mm-hmm. I feel as though you made it so approachable to even the non-mechanical mind that it was that's what made it interesting it's because you took the plate off and you can see the fingers and you can see the the bbs and you can you moved it around so the bbs move around and then the fingers move around and it's like this eureka moment for someone who doesn't really know how to even turn a light bulb yeah i i um i i try to do that i mean i can't say that i'm like 100% cognizant of making things more consumable but in generally i do try to make things more consumable for i always say regular people right you know because like the more that i'm learning about like kind of the youtube algorithm and instagram algorithm and you know i it i hate to say that i am i wouldn't say i like i'm obsessed with it like some people are but i i pay attention to it because it's my business you know it's not it's not uh to me this isn't yeah i'm diligent so it's like i the more more and more now i'm realizing that I need to make things a little more digestible for normal people. And, um, you know, that was why I did, I did another video and it didn't, didn't go off as crazy as the other ones where I showed the patent, uh, Eric from hand to rescue sent me the patent pages and I have like literally the printed out patent next to the vice and it shows exactly what it is, you know, and it's, it's super understandable, uh, and you can see exactly what the inventor, you know, was, was thinking of when he came up with the idea. And like, I think it was like 1954 or 1955. So, yeah, I mean, I think, uh, I, I think that Facebook has taught me that my content can reach people that aren't in my little niche group. Cause lately I've been, I've been re, uh, using a lot of my content on Facebook and I, it's, the reach has been in, insane. Um, and it's definitely, like you said, it's not 11 million mechanical engineers you know it's like twenty thousand mechanical engineers and then everybody else is just like a regular person uh you know who who happened to stumble across like how it's made on discovery channel you know that that kind of brings me to a topic that i i was interested in in regards to you and i'm i you and i talk often we should talk more often but this christmas has been holidays are the way it is i'm fascinated by your approach to your business because in, in regards to People who have have you know work independently. Obviously, you know you do have a, a day job, and then you kind of like yeah, two jobs. You've double shift, mm-hmm. and you've created this kind of make everything shop, which is your fabricator. You do fabrications. You do these fun projects. You do a lot of content creation. I I wonder what how, what you think that your demographic is. Yeah, it's, or what you want it to be. I should say. So I've. It's funny that you bring that up because. I've been, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a strategizer and a, a planner, a strategist, you could call it. Like, I think a lot 
long term and I and I project out a lot, try to make long term plans and goals. And as my business changes and my revenue sources change and, and all those things and I'm planning for the next things, I, I think about my audience and I think about like, you know, anybody that makes YouTube videos, unless you're doing like a series, like, okay, I'm restoring an old car. Right. Like, you know what you're doing next week, right? You know, right. like you started on the wheels and you're going to work on the fenders and the motor, whatever. Um, and I think that I, I did, you know, I started my business the way that I did because I didn't want to just do one thing. You know, I started a company called Make Everything for a reason. Um, and I think that I've built a audience. Uh, I built several different audiences within one kind of umbrella and it's good and it's bad. So like if I go back and I, and you know, anybody that kind of strategizes content will tell you like double down on the things that work. Right. So like if you make a knife making video and it gets a million views, then just keep making knife making videos. You know, if you do a, a restoration video and it gets a million views, keep making restoration videos. But I have found, and it's it's frustrating at times, that I'll get a hit on something in a unique topic and then I won't get another one. Right. But YouTube is very, uh, it's very analytics based. So I can go on a video and I can find out how many subscribers that video gained me or lost me. So, you know, the what someone would say is like, go to the video that got you the most amount of subscribers and just make that video again you know, like in a different way and, and, you know, keep it, keep that pace going. But I found that some of my audience, so much of my audience came from different areas. Like I have knife making videos that have done really well. And I have a sewing machine video that did well. I have a cabinet making video that did really well. So it's like, you know, the, the knife makers don't care about the cabinet making videos and right. the cabinet maker doesn't care about the knife making video. Right. So it's, uh, and, and, and none of them care about the restoration videos. So I think that, I mean, I know my audience is, is like a general kind of like people my age or older. Uh, and it's like 98% men, um, which, you know, whatever, you know, you take, you continue to make, I continue to make videos, not for any particular audience. I just make them for you know, anybody that wants to watch them, but it's been tricky to try to plan around because, you know, you look at somebody like our friend, Keith Johnson, right? KJ Sawdust, like an incredible fine woodworker. To me, Keith knows what he has to keep doing. You know, Keith knows to, you know, he, he, I, you know, like enjoys his thing. He enjoys making furniture. He enjoys making his videos the way that he makes them. And for him, it doesn't seem like there's any reason to, change because it's working right. for me every week i'm like you know i did this you know i did the 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 vice restoration video it did really well on youtube it got uh, you know a quarter million views so then my mind is like all right well i'll do another vice restoration and the, the one i did two weeks later it didn't do that well so you know uh I, it's been it's been a long time of trying to decide that i'm not gonna uh fall victim to like doing what my YouTube channel necessarily says that I need to do, and I'm just going to keep doing whatever I want and the audience will just find it.
you know, through through the content. I wonder. I think. I mean, I'm not. Obviously, I don't do YouTube. I mean, the only YouTube I've done is I did that fucking Epicurious video, and I'm just like, mm. I can't ever beat that, and I'm not going to spend <laughs> money to do that. So that's like just, Chris Cash and the Dragon bottle opener. It's yeah, like his only YouTube video has like five million views or something like that. And I hated every minute of it. <laughs> Frankly, I mean, I hate. I literally hated every minute of it. So I, it's like, I, I, I don't even. I don't want to. Do, I know. I. Do, I don't have the. I have to be disciplined and I know that I like to be, I like things every week. If I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it in yep. perpetuity. So I know that I'm going to hate it. So why would I even try? But I, it seems as though that there's this evolution in the YouTuber where you're, it's almost like you're starting out and you're finding your niche and you're finding your niche and you're finding your niche. And then all of a sudden it goes from people just stumbling onto one of the videos that you're doing and watching it to becoming a person that they want to follow like Jimmy. People are mm -hmm. going to watch Jimmy's videos because they they they're not they don't give a shit about, you know, whatever, restoration of a gun or something like that. He they want to see what Jimmy's going to do. Mm -hmm. It seems as though that there certain people have that, you know, they've created their own television show where people tune in every week. When do you think you're at that point now or if not, when do you think you'll get there? You know, it's it's funny because I I don't think I'm well, I can tell you that based on my like numbers, I'm not there yet right. because so like I will there are a couple of creators that I'll just watch their videos. Right. Um I'm a big Alex Steele fan. I think that Alec makes incredibly entertaining videos for people like me and just for regular people. So like I'll watch an Alex Steele video when it comes out. I don't care about a seven-part series making a a Chris knife or whatever, you know, like I don't care so much about the project as much as I just like am interested in whatever he's working on because he's got an interesting method, you know, like I like people that work in non-conventional ways. And I feel like Alec does things a little outside the lines of a traditional like blacksmithing shop, you know? Um, so I would just watch his videos. I would say that I have a weird scenario where like I've built a large subscriber base, but for some reason, the the viewers aren't necessarily coming back to watch every video unless it's particularly interesting to them. Now right. that's on that's on YouTube. I think on Instagram, I've generated a, a following that follows along pretty faithfully and is interested in what's going on. And I think that um, you know, I think that there's a couple of different ways to get around that. But at the moment, with my my workload is so. I'm so barely hanging on with what I try to get done every week that I, I kind of just need to sustain where, what I'm doing for a little while longer. But eventually I'd like to kind of bring people along more versus just like do a project every week. Like I, I think that the stuff that I have going on at the shop on a weekly basis are, are is actually pretty interesting, especially if you're a, a business owner, because like, you know, my shop, deals with I mean deal with a million different things every single week and I think that I could kind of sell that show of like you know hey this week I have to like do three projects oh and I also need to fix the forklift because right. I have a delivery coming on Tuesday and we need the forklift you know so I don't think I'm there yet but um you know I will say this as as though as, although I've had some kind of view issues in the last like year i would say my views are down the comments that i get are all so supportive that i know the people that are watching are are there because they they just genu genuinely like to watch whatever i'm i'm working on which is it's really cool it's a it's a really cool feeling see i've always thought that you you would be perfect on tv like i almost thought that when you were on that um that 
what was that show called? Uh, Assembly Required. Assembly Required. I thought that I was like, if there's somebody who's going to be sn- snatched up to host a show, it's going to be you. Because it's with one exception, I'm going to tell you why it, it wouldn't have worked. You're smart. You're funny. You're articulate. You're, you're very approachable. You're just a little bit too New York. I started to think about this. I started to think about this this morning. I started to think, you know, about New York stuff, and 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 there is a threshold that people are are accepting of New Yorkers, mm-hmm. and I I feel as though you have one toe over the line of of being kind of like not nationally because you don't see a lot of national New Yorkers like. You know, like on shows, like like New Yorker, New Yorkers, like real New Yorkers who I find that most of most of America find that New York because I get messages. People say that, you know, that, you know, I have an of a, a obnoxious New York a- accent, which I think is hilarious. I think that you and I have the very the most subtle of New York accents. Yeah, to, to absolutely. Be totally but I feel as though that there is this there is this preconceived um, discrimination. That's the, probably the wrong word, but I'm using it towards like native new yorkers like i think that they think because people don't like the bronx accent people don't Mm -hmm. like the brooklyn accent the queen's accent i love it i can't get enough of it i got a friend of mine from the bronx when he talks i just like i don't i won't say another word i just want to hear that accent i think it's fantastic but i feel as though maybe you that's your i think that's your you might have to get some elocution lessons maybe and you know what it's funny because like the people that know me and have like worked with me before, you know, like I, I, I think I give a lot of myself, my, my genuine self on the internet, but there is a difference between, you know, who I am in my shop when I'm working with my friends on a project and like what you get to see online. Right. Right. Like I, I consciously like don't swear in my like videos, you know, and I try not to swear on Instagram because people have messaged me that it like, you know, it makes it so they can't watch my videos in front of their kids. Like it's so weird. And like I was, I when when I first when Instagram Stories first came out, I was there. I was exactly who I am, one hundred percent authentic on my Instagram Stories, where I was cursing and like I, you know, it was not clean. And it was like cathartic to like feel like I had this audience of people with me in the shop dealing with all the bullshit that I have to deal with, you know, like, Oh, the fucking air compressor broke again, you know, like all these different kind of things. And, um, then I would get messages of people being like, Hey, like you got to cut down on the cursing. Cause like I try to watch these videos and like, I don't have headphones on. And then my wife's yelling at me from across the room cause my kids, you know, or whatever. Um, and, uh, I think just culturally like, growing up in New York and Long Island or whatever, it's, it, I don't even give it a second thought. And then I, but I watch a guy like, uh, um, Will Stelter, who has like probably the cleanest content of anybody that I know. He just recently, I don't know if you saw this on his Instagram, he said dang in a video or something like that. And somebody like took him like to the, the judge over saying dang, like, I can't believe you're just like saying this stuff, you know, like it was as, as much as will goes out of his way to not swear, probably even in his like personal life. I don't know. Will aside from like Instagram, we've never met, but we talk on, on, on Instagram about projects and stuff, but like he goes out of his way to be as clean as possible and still gets, you know, chewed up by people 
uh, who can't sta- can't stand the fact that he uses a word as harsh <laughs> as dang. And in my head, I'm like, Jesus Christ, these people couldn't even be in the same room as me. Dude, you know, number one, I've been on the phone with him and it's not dang. Trust <laughs> me. That's right. He's he, I mean, he is he's ex- as explicit as anyone I know. He, I mean, I got. Me I love good. Will Stelter. Will Stelter and I are the biggest odd couple of all time. I don't even know. Oh my god, it. I know. But like, <laughs> I love Will. I love Will. He's a great kid, and you know. But at the same time, like, it's not like that all the time. Trust me. Mm-hmm. The language thing has been a problem for me only because, and you know, I'll be vague to a certain degree. Is there's a person in my family who would ruthlessly any word, any bad words I would say, they would judge me upon those bad words, mm-hmm. right? But not my actions. Meanwhile, this person was a terrible human being. <laughs> the terrible, the person didn't curse, was a terrible human being. Yep. And it made me think like, you know what? I'm not a terrible human being. I, yep. do, I do everything I do to try to be a good person. I do the right thing. I express myself in a, in a floral way. That's yeah. it. But at the same time, it's like just because you say some bad words doesn't mean you're a bad person. Of you know, so so I that always strikes me. One every once in a while on Knife Talk, we'll get a message saying, you know, I really want to listen to Knife Talk in front of my kids, but Jeff can't can control himself. And mm-hmm. I'm just like, well, number one, I'm not the only one here. You just don't like me. And number two is you shouldn't be listening to this with your kids because they obviously don't want to hear it. And your kids don't want to listen to Knife Talk. Stop it. You know, yeah, right. just, you know, seriously. And this like I would imagine for people like you. The guy who's getting mad, his wife's mad because the kids are in the room. He shouldn't be watching you. He should be taking care of the goddamn kids. You know, yeah, so it's it, like it's like I wanna, I you know, I the 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 stories and like that. It's like a it's a it's a view into what's happening. Right. You know, like and if that's you know how I kind of feel, and it's it's funny because when I when I shot for that show, like they shot for five days and it was not shot in like a studio, right? It was shot in my shop and I was mic'd up or whatever. And it was just me by myself. But I always thought like, you know, it'd be funny if I did a, you know, a week long or a two week long build with a camera crew and a producer. And, you know, at a certain point you, you forget the cameras there and right. you just start to just act the way you would normally act. Um, and you know, maybe who knows, maybe that would actually cause people to, to, to feel like more connected with me. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward with each new idea, innovation, and partnership. We're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Me as a fabricator, because we're all the same, you know, like we're all the same, like, you know, trying to struggle through a project and cursing and yelling when something breaks, you know, at, at 459 on a, on a Friday when like, you know, the hardware store is about to close, you know? So, um, you know, I don't know. It's, it's, I definitely think though that, uh, you know, going back to what you said about being a little too New York, I think that, um, it would be funny to have me in a position with a bunch of people that aren't from New York and just to see the differences in the way that, you know, I would deal with project problems or, or conflicts versus someone from like Wisconsin, you know, a um, fish out of water. Yeah. But you know, it would be funny. You know, I think yeah. it would be funny. And like, 
you know, even just the way you deal with other people, you know, like the way, you know, my, my friend Panza is like, he is the most New York, New Yorker. He's so funny. And like, he's constantly wheeling and dealing, uh, buying like quads and dirt bikes and stuff. And I've listened to him like on the phone negotiating with people. And it's like a caricature of like a Brooklyn, you know, hustler, right? you know? Where the guy's like, ah, you know, he, the, he he's like, yo, so you, you know, you're asking for 200, I'm gonna give you 150, and the guy's like, oh no, 200, you know, it's got to be 200, and it's like, bro, listen, I'm on my way to your shop with 150 dollars in my hand. You're telling me if I put this 150 dollars in your hand, I'm not gonna be able to leave with this thing, you know, like stuff where like I feel like if you had a more a different pace, you just go, oh well, I guess you know the guy really wants 200, I guess I'm gonna have to pay him 200, you know, or. Uh, or the guy says it's not going to be done by Tuesday. I guess it's not going to be done. You know, like a New Yorker will uh, will find a way. There's a confidence in that that it's very clear that like Anthony's like, yeah, it doesn't happen, doesn't happen. You know, mm-hmm. I, I can I can push this to the limit because I'm not my life isn't dependent on this particular sale. Yep. And you get that confidence, and then it is it gets fun to be able to kind of play into that role. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's funny because. My dad was like that, and he was like this just tough negotiator when it came to money. And there was a couple of times in my life where I'd have to like coach him. You know, when I was younger, you know, he'd come with me to like buy stuff or buy a car or whatever. And there'd be times where I'd have to like coach him before we got there and be like, Dad, I know you're going to want to try to like haggle with this guy, but at the end of the day, I really want this thing, and there isn't another one. You know, like I right. want like this car and there isn't another one next door right. for the same price with the same mileage, whatever. So as much as we want to haggle, we can't have him telling us to fuck off because we need this, right. you know? And then like we'd be there and the guy would be like, oh, you know, I was thinking about it. And, you know, I said I was negotiable, but I'm not. My dad would be like, let's go get back in the car. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, guys, let's calm down. <laughs> you know, like, let's make it happen. Um, but, you know, it's... uh. It's definitely something I think that comes from kind of like dealing dealing in New York. You know, you go to buy a pair of sunglasses on the street and the guy wants 10 bucks and you you walk away and then he's chasing you down and asking for 3 bucks. You know, that's a that's a New York experience that I feel like a lot of people haven't gone through. See, but there's also the other side of the coin is when I was very young, I guess I was probably like my parents took me, my mother took me to Florida and we were, I don't we met this friend of a friend or something like that. And then she was talking to me. I was a little boy and she said, Oh, Jeffrey, where are you from? And I said, I'm from New York. And she goes, Oh, that must be horrible. Like she <laughs> was, she was like, you know, it was as if I had said, I, I live in Beirut or yeah. I live in, you know, and that's a terrible, it's not even, that's a dated, it's a dated place to even say right now. It's like, it'd be like yeah. saying I live in the Ukraine or something like that. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it was this, it, I was stunned because this woman was just like, oh my, I'm so, I feel so sorry for you. I love New York and yeah. I love, I mean, I consider New York my third parent, well, my fourth parent. Like if it, when my parents are divorced and, and I was by myself, New York City saved my life. I'm convinced. And if I didn't have the ability to learn how to get take the bus and take the subway and go to different places, I would have been a drug addict, or I would have been a criminal, or I would have been I wouldn't I wouldn't have been, I, maybe that's a little extreme, but I, I don't think I would be as happy as I am now. And, well, there's an exposure that you just can't you know no. you you can't you can't replace. And I didn't grow up in the city, but I you know very quickly 
started to spend time in Manhattan, uh, especially when I was, you know, like younger and I was coming up kind of riding BMX and, and just traveling, like we would go into the city like every weekend. All we wanted to do was like get on the train and go into the city. And it's funny because for the kids that we knew that were from Brooklyn and, and Queens, it was like, you know, we were like farm kids right you know like we had no idea what it was like to go and like haggle with the guy at the bodega you know and like but you you at least you get the exposure to it because it's it's this close thing to you and you have friends that go to school in the city and and you get to go and kind of experience it secondhand And, and i'm sure your daughter's experience with growing up up in uh uh in Peekskill and then going down to the city on the weekends and stuff like that like there's a there's something you learn from it and it's funny because I now that you know COVID has sort of like come and gone right and I talk to people about my my job and my work experience I worked in the city for almost three years and I stopped working in the city right before COVID uh like probably about six or seven months before COVID kind of first kind of broke out in the city and I don't I am like thankful for the experience that I got working in the city. I don't want to go back to working in the city because it was a pain in the ass, but like to you know to spend a half of your day on subways and buses and taxis and seeing Manhattan is is a great experience That's and it even taught me a lot as an adult. You know, I was 30 uh I was 30 when I started working in the city and I worked there till I was yeah, like about 33 and it it was like a big, it was a really serious learning experience, you know? A hundred percent. I, I, uh, it's funny that you mentioned my kid because, um, when, when we were looking at colleges, I was really hard selling her on New York. Yeah, because I know you were. We I talked wanted, about this. I wanted her to have the, you know, I grew up in New York city during the seventies, the eighties, seventies and eighties. And I had, I mean, it with the world was my, the world was my oyster. I mean, mm-hmm. it was a different time and everything. That's probably more dangerous time, frankly. But like, I just felt like I understood the subway system. I had friends all over the place. I knew where to go. I knew, I knew what to do. I could just go wherever I wanted to go. And I felt as though I felt so comfortable with the subway system and with the streets and everything that I just knew where things were, you know? And I wanted my kid to have that same experience. And she wanted it too. And she, Okay, about a year ago, she started going to the city by herself, and I showed her. How, I, I gave her a lot of training on the trains, and you know, even don't take this exit off this uh, subway station because mm-hmm. you're gonna have to go up the stairs. And if you go in the next one, you can catch the express without having to take the stairs. You know that kind of stuff. Yep. And we went down to NYU in Columbia, and I found myself hard selling her hard, like going out of my way to say, "Here's there's a restaurant we you I used to go to and." I said, I said, I used to buy weed from this, you know, this area over here. And, and I was like, there's a lot of fun places that they do here and a lot of things that you can do. And I was showing her all these different places. I was t- taking her around. And ultimately she's going to college in, in, in Los Angeles because, you know, that's where she wants. And she got in and she's, and we're happy for her. But at the same time, I was like, I wanted her to have the experience that I had as being a New Yorker. Cause it was just like, it really, it's more than just living in a town. I mean, it was oh, yeah. really like this very seminal experience and back to cursing before a couple of years before pandemic, I felt as though my, or maybe it was right on the cusp of pandemic. Things were going, you know, weird. And I felt that I wanted our daughter to be able to express herself as best, she, you know, express herself. Well, even when she was younger, I really want, we would do like kind of like debating at the table because I wanted her to be able to kind of be 
persuasive. I felt that it very important to not just say something because you feel it. You have to say something because you understand the how to be persuasive. So that was like a big thing in our growing up. And I hate my, my Hillary hated it because she thought we were just arguing. I was like, no, I want her to give me a, she should express herself the best she can. I'm ready to be converted to the way she's thinking, but she needs to really kind of work hard. So it got to the point where she was doing really well with like being persuasive and stuff like that. And I said to her, look, I give you per full, your mother and I say, if you want to curse in the house, you can curse in the house. We can say whatever you want. You can't say, fuck you, dad. But at the same time, <laughs> you can, you, I want you to feel free with, uh, don't, you're not going to, don't, I don't want you to be censored. Mm -hmm. You just can't say it at school, obviously. And you can't say it to, you know, your grandmother or something like that. You, you got to like learn how to control yourself. You have to know your, you know, your audience. You have to you know, know your, your environment. So in the first couple of weeks, it was fuck, 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 fuck. And then she, I was just like, just to let you know, the more you say it, it kind of you lose a lot of the, you know, the, the grandness of these adjectives and adverbs. Yeah. And then she started to just talk normally and our relationship changed because she felt comfortable enough to be able to express herself without feeling like we're going to say, oh, you're not allowed to use that word. Mm -hmm. And our relationship and the dynamics of the relationship between my wife and my daughter and I changed dramatically for the better. And That's it's good. because we allowed her to be the person that she is, not saying that saying bad words makes you bad, but we wanted her to be able to express herself in the most, you know, articulate way. We wanted to know who, who the real person was. Mm -hmm. And it, it was unbelievable. I mean, it was like a huge thing. So I get these messages, but don't say the bad words. It's just like, you know, you're, you're maybe you, you got a, you got a problem. You got to write me saying I shouldn't say these words. Yeah, it's, it's, I think that it's, there's like a, a, a freedom of it. It's funny because my mom is like, if I, if I curse in her house, she like flips out. But meanwhile, if, if the shit hits the fan for her, she'll curse and scream all, all day right. long. Yeah. And I'm like, you know what? It's like, she's like, there are so many better ways to, to articulate yourself and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, mom, listen, there's something about telling somebody that they're a fucking idiot that really lets them know that. You're not happy with the way they've acted, yeah. you know, and, and it, I get it. There's yeah, there are other ways to describe it, but it depends on, you know, I wouldn't say that to somebody that I'm working with in a professional setting uh, in, in my day job. Right. Which is like a very white collar thing. Right. But there's something about yeah. me being a kid and growing up working in construction and having making a mistake and having somebody tell me that I'm a fucking idiot that is like, oh, I don't want to do that again. But if they were like, hey, man, you really messed up there, I'd be like, okay. But, you know, it's like there's, 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 a, reason that, uh, <laughs> there's a reason that you use extremes. Well, um, I mean, you're, you're expressing you know. yourself in, a, in, a, in the way that you feel the most comfortable expressing yourself. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's, I, and it's, it's funny. Sometimes you write that email and you're like, I write an email and I'll be like, oh, my God, I really just want to, you know, tell this person that they're like – this is a, this is a stupid fucking problem, you know? And I'm like, I never would swear in an email, like a professional email, but you know, it, it's funny. Cause nowadays I think that everybody, uh, goes out of their way to just use words that are parallel with the words they want to say. And if we all just gave up and just said exactly what we felt, things would go a lot faster by know? a mile, mm -hmm. by a mile. But it, it, it brings me to, you know, us talking about like the future and stuff like that. And in this podcast, I'm, I don't talk as much about, what people have as much as what, you know, what you think. I'm far more interested in the person. And, and I, I, I've been talking to a lot of knife makers, and you know, without 
being, you know, you have to say that social media is your own version of public relations. There's just mm. no other way. I'd be, I wouldn't be, Fader Knives would not exist without without uh, social media. There's just no way. I'm not mm. going to go, because I refuse to go to farmer's markets. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and like, I don't, I hate, hate, hate uh, consignment. I hate consignment. Mm-hmm. I think it's it's like being a it's like being a, a it's like being a whore. It's it's like not even being a whore. It's just like your pimp is no good. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like it sucks. Yeah. So it's but, like having a pimp that stays home most of the day. Yeah, you're not doing anything. <laughs> you got to you got to work the streets and then the, the you know the pimp's not doing anything for you. Oh, I hate it. God. So what I th- what I thought about was about like we talked about engagement and social media and stuff like that. I started to, I've been talking to a lot of knife makers, especially, and I, I see the way fabrication and, not fabrication, but manufacturing has changed in the smaller markets. Mm-hmm. You, you have people now have a laser jet and water jet uh, ability. You have the ability to use water jet. I know I get some water, uh, knives, water jet cut. You have these CNC machines that make projects easier. And I wonder how that's affecting manufacturing in general and the way we see work. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I, uh, yes, it does. And I think that, you know, as a, I, I'm like a little bit old school in that, like, I think that I don't think you have to suffer forever, but I think that you need to, you need to learn the basics and you need to go, you know, like, uh, you need to go through the struggle of like, the drill press and the file, you know, and then, you know, you design your part and then next thing you know, you're getting them laser cut and whatever. Like, I think there's a value and it's funny because I see it all the time in the people that, you know, are around me, uh, that can't solve easy problems because they, they've never had easy problems to solve. Like they don't, like they go through these incredibly complicated methods to like solve these simple little problems or like or like plan an idea and i'm like what the fuck are you doing you know like you don't need 17 prototypes to make something you know like you just you just make the thing and if it works it works and if you make something that's to be used you have to use it you know like uh and like i've made you know going back to to like knife making as a, as just a, a perfect example right like the amount of the knife makers that i see that have like never used one of their own knives i'm sure it drives a real knife maker like yourself crazy when someone like makes a beautiful looking knife that's hand sanded with like crazy scales and the thing looks like you know a a, a cadillac and it's like but have you actually cut anything with it? Do you have one in your kitchen? You know, like I have made uh, folding knives before and you've seen some of my folding knives. Like I never felt comfortable selling one of my folding knives because I didn't feel like it had been through enough trauma to say like someone can carry this every day. And now the knife that I do carry every day, which I think is the one that you've probably seen me carry. Like I've carried that knife for like three or four years and now I feel like I'm ready to make that knife and sell it because it's like, I've been through it, you know. Well, we've there's been a, the knife making in general has is such has been such an explosion because it's so there's so many things there's so many like it's like the perfect storm. Mm. It's 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 a relatively easy, you know, beginning price to get involved. Well, it's accessible now. Super accessible. It's easy to you can get. We at knife talk. We have 
we have a company that will cut your knives out for you. Mm-hmm. There, are, there are heat treating services. There are grinding services. You, you don't have to do anything. At this point, yeah. you don't have to do any of it. Yeah, and it's it it the the amount of money, and then you know you start to build, and you get the grinder, and then you get a kiln, and you get a forge, and you get a this that, and the other thing. It's not that expensive, right? And the fact is, is knives are so approachable and so craveable because of the scale. I mean, they're mm-hmm. they fit in your hand, and they're they're not like something you need to get a ladder to get out of, you know, to get out the ladder to get to it. So yep. you, it's very it, they're intimate, especially folding knives. And they're craveable and stuff like that. What gets me crazy is is a lot of the, a lot of these guys. And I don't really care that much, but I'm you know it, it it does it doesn't bother me. But I mean it's just annoying. Is none of them have ever worked in shops before. No, none of them have have, have any experience with any type of fabrication, and or the struggles. Well, really, what it comes down to is the experience, mm-hmm. because you know, I, I I'm gonna I break Craig's balls every so often because every so often he'll say that you know that like drilling holes is the dumb you know drilling holes or cutting up scale blanks is the dumb work, and I and I want to say to a lot of guys who say that I want to see you draw I want to see you drill two holes on a straight line. Mm-hmm. Show me you draw you can drill two holes. Yep. And and then and then we'll talk because. A lot of these basic things that are, are are so hard. I remember having to lay out railings, and I remember how to mark out for the for the for the railing for the pickets. And I remember having to do you had a I had a top a, a top piece of channel, a bottom piece of channel. I had to make them even. You know, goddamn hard it was to mark and drill and center punch the holes so they were on the money. It yeah, make something was square. So hard. just make something that's perfectly square. So hard. That was Good one luck. of the, that was that was one of my uh, my lead man. That's what he would hot when he used to hire people. He would make you give them four pieces of you give him a piece of angle bar and say make a box. Mm-hmm. You have no idea the 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 terror terror on people's faces. And then yeah. he would take the the MIG welder. He changed the the wire speed. He changed the voltage before they had a chance to to start. Mm-hmm. Just so they had to like they had to have a little bit of basic know how to figure out what the problem was. Yeah, but there's that's why I put myself through so much shit in my job, like at my shop. Like I go out of my way to do hard and challenging projects because I feel like there's never going to be enough stuff that I've tried and learned how to do. Um, because you know the other like here's a perfect example so the other day uh, a a client of mine who has like a really high end uh, hardware store he go he calls me up and he's like hey i got a customer they need a uh, imagine a cabinet door with an angle iron frame around it right. but but in the opposite direction so instead of the face of the angle iron being around the door like a frame the leg of the angle iron is sticking out okay uh, protruding so basically okay. like an an eighth inch thick uh, frame around the door, and that's the grab. That's the 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 pull, you know. Okay. Um. So he goes, hey, but it needs to be po- mirror polished brass, and it has to look perfect, even on the inside corners. And I said, okay, fine. I said, let's let me make a sample. I'm not going to tell you on the phone right now. Yes, 100, percent we can do it. Let's make a sample. So I ordered. Uh, he ordered the material. He dropped it off at my shop, and I sent half of the bar. It was a 12 inch piece. And I sent six inches of it down to my friend Matt, who's uh, an amazing welder and fabricator I do a lot of work with. And I kept a six-inch piece. And, or, yeah, exactly. I kept a six-inch piece. He kept a six-inch piece. And then I called him up. I said, hey, the guy needs a sample by tomorrow. What are you doing tonight? Can you can you make it? Yeah, sure, I'll work on it right now. I'll send you a picture in a couple minutes. I said, okay, I'm going to try it too. 
Now, I know he's a better TIG welder than me. I know he's a better brass TIG welder than me, especially. And if you've ever tried to TIG weld brass, Brutal. it's super hard. Brutal. Um, so I, he's saying, I'm going to need to use filler metal. And I'm saying, well, I'd like to try to use, um, I'd like to try to fuse it. Because I would like there to be no silicon bronze. Right. Silicon bronze is like a little yellower sometimes well, well, than sometimes the brass. Sometimes red too. So you exactly. Have a, so your filler material will be a different color than the, in the on the mirror. Exactly. So the guy is, is specifically asking that. He's saying, "Is it gonna? Are you gonna see the filler?" So I'm like, "All right. Well, Matt, you try it without filler metal, and you try it with filler metal, and I'll try it without." This is a long way around me saying. I had no business trying to make this. I'm right. not the person to do it. But I still spent like an hour making a sample so that I could at least understand what Matt was going to be going through when he inevitably has to do the job, you know, with me. Because if I tell him, hey, well, you know, we can't have this or that or, you know, how high of a polish. So, like, I went out of my way to try that experience. Whereas I think now the there's so much accessibility to like another skilled person. There isn't even as much desire to like understand what they're going to have to do to make it, you know, like I now know, cause when we do the final project, Matt's going to weld it. Right. I, it's, it's just, he's better at it than I am. Right. So he's going to do it totally fine. I'm going to, I'm going to lay out the holes and I'm going to drill the holes and countersink. And I'm that's the way that I'm going to contribute on the job. But at least now I know when I'm going to price it or when I'm going to price the next one or when I'm going to talk to someone about it, like, holy shit, this is going to be difficult, you know? And I think that that the desire to try is just barely hanging on. Most people are just like, shit, how can I get another company to make and do 99% of this? And I'll just slap my name on it and just be a designer, you know? And, and I think there's a, a need for the the design mind and you don't, not everybody needs to know how to make things, but you got to at least have an idea. And you know, it bothers me that so many people skip that step. But this is the, the, the issue. And it seems as though it's a societal issue too, as uh, technology makes things easier. You're it's, they're making things easier, but they're taking away experience. They're taking 100%. away. And this is what I don't it, 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 like. AI is something that I'm not very fond of. And I have a friend of mine who, uh, Bree Pettis, I've talked about him on the podcast before. He owns Bantam Tools and he's huge into AI. Mm. And we just, he and I spent some time talking about AI and he's in AI art and he loves it. I find that I find it to be, I, I don't like it at all in terms of the, the convenience of it, I understand. But it, what I find is that it's taking away the humanity and it's taking away the concept of experience. Oh, 100%. 100%. And it's it's funny because, like, I love a service like Send, Cut, Send. I don't know if you've ever used them for anything. Sure, sure. And now Send, Cut, Send will, like, design, cut, bend, drill, and, like, do all the work, right? And it's it, to me, it's, like, uh, it, it's it's great, but I also think that there's something to be said about having to, like, cut out a piece of metal and fabricate it and fit it and bend it with heat or bend it cold and then drill and countersink holes. Like I think there's, there's so much knowledge in that experience. And as things just get easier and as, uh, as people, you know, get access to those things, I do think it's great, but I, I just, I really think that people underestimate the value of actually having done the stuff, even if you just do it one time, you know, 
uh, whenever I interview people to work, so in my professional career outside of my shop, for those that don't know, I'm a construction manager and like basically an owner's rep for a large developer. And I interview people to work in the field uh, relatively often. It's it's not like every day, but I've conducted a few and hired a few over the last year and a half as that company's expanded. And the first thing I ask everybody is like, do you have any field experience? And it's funny because I interviewed this guy like two years ago and he had this amazing resume of like, he worked for this developer and that developer and this. And I said, okay, well, have you ever worked in the field? And he's like, well, what do you mean? And I'm like, and that's as soon it. as he said yeah, that, I was it. like, that's you're like, fucked. Yeah, I'm like, 100%. because if you ask me if I've ever worked in the field, it's like, I can give you, you know, it's like, I've got probably more experience than most, but, and you don't necessarily need all of it. You don't need 15 years of, of in the field experience, but he goes, well, what do you mean? And I said, have you ever worked in the field? Have you ever been a helper? Have you ever right. been a laborer? You don't have to be a lead carpenter to ha know what it's like to work in the field. And he goes, uh, well, uh, my dad and my brother, uh, they uh, flip houses and I've helped them in the summer, like hang drywall. And I'm like, all right. In my head, I'm like, this guy's full of shit, you know, because like I, you can answer that question confidently if it's true. Um, anyway, and the right answer and the right answer would be like, oh, yes. Yeah, that, exactly. The, the, the right answer is, yeah, yes. I was, <laughs> and I'm glad that I'm not in the field <laughs> yeah. anymore. Yeah, you know? let's, let's not talk about the field anymore. What do you say? <laughs> exactly. And and uh, that guy actually wound up not working out. And I don't know if it was partially because of that, but I've always found that the guys I hire that have worked in the field, they have just a, a way of communicating with the people that are working in the field day by day that is more effective, you know? And like, I think that even, you know, and, and you've had, I don't, you haven't had a full-time employee in a while, probably since Carl, right? That was like, no, I uh, got a guy for the past oh, uh, eight yes, months. You were bringing somebody in. Yeah, I got I, a guy I, for the past eight, seven or eight months. So, so, and I bring in guys to help me all the time. I know, and I and I would be interested if you agree with this, but I know at least in my world, I am a far more effective boss to tell someone what to do because I have done that exact thing a hundred times and I can hear from across the room if they're fucking it up. You know, like I can hear the drill bit is dull. Yeah. And the and the and the thing they're drilling is about to spin out of the drill press and hit them in the neck. You know what I mean? Um, and there's, that's super, super valuable, you know, Ugh. or I could just say, Hey, here's a drawing for this, uh, this railing plate we have to make. Just go ahead and make it. I'm going to go in the other room and, uh, I'm going to talk on the phone and you know, you tell me if you need anything. Cause I'm not really sure what we need for this. You know what I mean? Like what, what, what are you, how do you feel it's affected the way that you've well, you know, I mean, been able to manage this guy? I've, it's been good. It's been good. I mean, Teaching has helped me in regards to the communication and frankly, podcasting has helped me with communication, but like I have had to, it's been great for me on a, it's been great for me to, to have someone to be able to confidently explain what to do. And he's not just sweeping the floor. Mm -hmm. So it, it is, it's very, very valuable to me to be able to explain it and to, to, and I'm also teaching him a little bit, which is good. But like I, when you said, you know, I can tell when you're on the phone and maybe you hear something or maybe you don't hear anything, you mm -hmm. know, to check in or there's a sound that's weird or there's a smell that's weird. And you immediately like, you know, the bat signal, the spidey sense comes up and you're just like, wait, what, why is that noise? That, why is that drill bit? You tell the drill bit. I was just like, were you like watching my shop a couple weeks ago? Because <laughs> it was exactly what happened. But 
the, the I I I really do believe that it's a I love being a boss. I love when talking about experience. I usually get stuff laser cut out, water jet cut out from the New Jersey Steel Baron who I love. I started to do these new knives and I thought I want to do a small batch of them and then I had enough material to do 27. And I was like I'm just going we're just going to do all 27 of them. So we cut them all out and ground them all out, and we made it like a, a factory. You know, mm-hmm. I didn't have to. I could have just made a sample and set it off. But I really, really wanted to understand the process of this, and I wanted yeah. him to understand the process of this. And I wanted to show him, and I wanted to show myself that we could have a plan, have a game plan, and they knew what we are going to do, and little things like don't take the line. If I sketch, the, if I, you know, if I uh, use the scribe, describe the line. Don't, with the bandsaw, don't cut the line. Leave the line. Mm-hmm. Give me, you know, it's these little things that you learn on a job site or you learn in a shop that you can't translate from a YouTube channel. Yep. You know, but it, I, 100%, and I, I know that you know because you have been on install. I've been on, install jobs have been like, the only times I've had real anxiety attacks are the night before an installation. <laughs> I was the number two guy at, for t- the two shops I was at. I was the number two guy for actually number two guy for both shops. And I was, I just, for some reason I got the, I was making sure I was the guy to make sure we had enough tools for the shop, for the, mm. for the, uh, for the job. That's the hardest di- job. And we didn't have a tool. We didn't have tools dedicated to the job site. So mm-hmm. like when we do an installation, we're like, stripping the whole shop up and i would say to the yep. boss like well, this would be a lot easier if we had like install sh- tools yeah is that and then at night i'm like thinking to myself do i have enough three 30, 30 second drill bits and what happens if mm-hmm. two of them break and i got to find out if there's a hardware store nearby what happens if the if we have, I have to make sure we have backup taps because we're tapping a million holes and what if they break and where you can't get a tap in most hardware stores and it was like it was the most stressful thing to me I hate See, it. I, I love it. I, yeah, I, I, I so I, you know, I obviously I do a lot of my own install work, and usually I just bring in help, right? So right. like the people, like my buddy Mac, who's great, and Matt, Matt and Mac are the two guys that I like kind of work with the most, and um, they both have their own sort of like ways of doing things, and I have my own way of doing things. It's just we just have different experiences, and typically, you know. I've helped both of them on their own projects, but more times than not, they're helping me on a project that I've got. And, you know, I'll make a, I'll make lists and I, I always have more than I need, but like just recently we did this bed. Uh, I built this bed. It took forever and a day to build the thing. Thank you. And I'm so happy with how it came out. But when we went to install it, you know, Mac was helping me load the truck and he's like, do you have this? Do you have that? And the next thing you know, like him and I had both brought like, uh, uh, an impact we had both brought an extra set of allen keys you know what i mean like and and that's uh that's just experience talking where if i had just a helper like there's another kid that that helps me sometimes like i wouldn't have asked him to i wouldn't have had his opinion on any of it because right. i know he just doesn't have the experience and it's i i have learned to not rely on anyone else to supplement what i'm thinking of but i can tell you right now when you have people around you that have that same experience and they are acting as like a as a contributor to like the hey we're going on a job like why don't we bring both porta bands instead of just one you know because like the one porta band is big and the other one is small and maybe we'll need the small one because we'll be up on a ladder right you know what i mean and uh it's that you learn so much on the install jobs. And that's 
when when Mac Mac and I were carpenters together, and uh, we worked for a guy. It was a gr- he was a great guy, great builder, but he he wasn't like he was an older guy, and I and I think generationally, and you're a little bit older than me, just old enough to I think remember what it was like when you couldn't just go to Home Depot and get like really good tools. Like now, you could go to Home Depot and buy like an amazing battery powered porta band, right? If you needed it, like yeah, it's expensive, but if but you know, I would think 20 years ago, you couldn't just go to the store that's open till 9 p.m. and buy a mag drill, you know, like that wasn't a thing. So now I feel like we we live in this time where you can just go and get amazing tools to get work done. And I always think it's funny when people kind of like slight themselves by not upgrading to like what's available now versus maybe what was available then. And my buddy who works for a steel shop, like he's constantly like exposing his boss to like what you can go out and buy now. And his boss is like blown away by the fact that you can go get like a, like I have a battery powered mag magnetic drill. Like tell me that an iron working shop 15 years ago wouldn't have like given their left arm for a battery operated mag drill that they could use in a building where there's no power. I was you know just, what I mean? I was just about to tell you 15 years ago, you, you didn't, most people didn't even know what a porta band was. Oh yeah, I don't doubt that. I, I don't saw doubt my that. first porta band. I saw my first porta band when I first started at the Center for Metal Arts. I'd never seen one before, mm-hmm. and I, you know, we were using it for. I mean, we were using it for. We actually we weren't using it the way most people use it. We were using it to cut pipe, uh, posts, mm-hmm. cut posts down to size. You know, that was the way. You know, for installing a railing or a gate that needs to be embedded in concrete or in, you know whatever, sauna tubes. You would need to cut the pipe to fit the thing, so we use the the, the porta band because you don't want to like have a chop saw in the sh- you know in someone's driveway. Yeah, and but you yeah you're never... like shooting sparks all yeah. over somebody's like new yeah. like uh, virgin concrete, and then it's all rusting or it's getting in the paint of somebody's car. You know, like it's it's but the they world never had though. You couldn't go yep. to Home Depot and they, you'd ask them about porta bands. They're like, what are you talking about? Yeah, exactly. They still don't know what you're talking. They about. They still don't but, know what you're talking about. But it's funny because I, that's part of the reason. Just like kind of uh, like bring it back like full circle. Like the reason that I make a lot of the content that I make is because I didn't know. Like I didn't grow up in a in a. It's funny because there's a there is this misconception that people have about me is that. I grew up in like a cabinet shop or with a welder as a father. Like my right. dad did like home, like work on our house because we need, because he needed to, like he knew how to work out of necessity. He knew how to do drywall because we couldn't afford to pay, uh, you know, a renovating company to come in and like put an extension on the house. Like, so every skill that he had, he learned out of necessity and the tools that he had were the tools that he had. There was no like, oh, well, you know, we should go find the latest and greatest thing. It was just, we have a skill saw. So the only thing we're going to buy is new blades. And even that is as needed. So my life has been the opposite where I go out of my way to learn about new tools, learn about new techniques. And then when I share them with people on Instagram and YouTube and all this other stuff, the reason I'm doing it is because to me, it's like, it's like this amazing aha moment. You know, it's like finding a shortcut on the road. And then I'm like, oh my God, I got to tell somebody else about this, you know? And to me, it doesn't, doesn't take anything away from me. Uh, It doesn't hurt me at all to introduce, you know, um, like the induction heater, the induction forge, like to introduce that to people on the internet which is now that video, those videos have gone so viral. Millions of people have learned what an induction forge is. It doesn't do anything to me negatively to share that with everyone. 
it only enriches my own experience and then helps me grow my business, which is good. And then all these people are like, holy shit, I, you know, uh, uh, perfect example, a friend of mine, I don't know if he would want me to expose who it is, but he makes tools and was spending a ton of money on oxygen and acetylene to heat treat the tips of his screwdrivers that he makes. Right. When I made the video on the induction forge, he was like, holy shit, I can't even get acetylene right now because of COVID like lockdowns. How much is that tool? And like, how quickly do you think I can get one? And it's changed his business, right? You know, so he didn't know about it. This is a very knowledgeable guy, but he had to see it on my channel for him to know that it could change the way that he operates his business. But those you know? induction forges are relatively new to oh, the yeah. consumer. 100%. And they're new to being affordable. They're like anything. You know, like like 2x72s used to be a lot more money than they are now. Um, or you had to make your own. So it's like with every with time, everything comes down in price. But it's just the idea that uh, the idea that through like all the social media stuff, you can help. I can help expose people to different and cool stuff. I feel like it's, I feel like it's a good way to kind of give back to the uh, the community as a whole. Because I've learned so much from from all from everybody on on uh, social media and on YouTube. Like I'm constantly trying to do more research to learn how to be better. And I feel like giving it's a, it's a really simple way to kind of give back and ex give people a little experience with things they might never even try. You know. But do you still like it? The content creation part. I do. I do still like it, but it's changing. It's changing for me because, and it's frustrating because I really want my audience to just want to watch whatever projects I'm working on. I don't right. expect my audience to want to like know about my like vacation or my trip to the grocery store. Like I'm not trying to have that level of like intimate connection where they care so much about every single thing I'm doing, but I would love to know that my audience will just watch whatever project I'm building because it has some value to them. And I do try to have that educational value in whatever the project is, whether it be, you know, a, a motorcycle or a, a bed frame or a cabinet. I, I am frustrated in that I'm finding it's harder. It's harder for me to make a living if people aren't watching. Um, so it's, it is, it does make me nervous that, you know, if, if things don't, continue i mean right now things are doing things are great so i can't complain but i'm always worried that if if that drops out then i'll lose that source of income but at the same time i'm building up other aspects of my business simultaneously like we're gonna start a mobile welding business in the spring me and matt um and i'm gonna build out like a welding skid and a welding trailer and that will be a whole nother part of my business that i'll share with my viewers and maybe they'll be interested in it maybe they won't but at the end of the day it'll be a real business that operates and it will be able to help me make money that will help you know feed my my family you know so it's it's i hope that you know i i hope that the numbers uh the number of people that i've been able to kind of attract stick around and they just want to be here to learn um, and see kind of where I'm going to go next. So, you know, I, I think, I think it's going to all work out, but I'm definitely, it's an uncertain time on, uh, on social media and, and especially on YouTube right now. So it makes me a little nervous at times. Well, I know you have a hard out, but I'm, I, I'm watching the clock. Don't worry. Oh, okay, cool. I'm, I got you. I got you. One that brings me to the last thing. And it's something that if, if you know, cause I think about, I talk to you about social media a lot and I'm fascinated by it. And, the thing is, is for me, 
for fader knives. You know, you see, you see, you know, obviously reels are where it's at, and mm-hmm. you don't get as much engagement the way I used to. I don't get as much engagement the way I used to, and now I'm doing more reels, and I'm getting a little bit more views and stuff like that. I'm trying, for me, it's trying to see the, the transition between the stuff that I put on Instagram to how is that going to make business? Because mm-hmm. I, like, I'm getting a hundred bucks a month from Instagram isn't really, I don't, I don't really think about that too much. I don't really think about those things. But I do think about how, how, what I'm doing and how that translates into sales, mm-hmm. and I and I, and, it, and it's making me kind of like trying to, do, how do I separate myself out as a knife maker? And maybe I should make it more content where I'm actually cooking with my knives. And maybe I should, you know, I'm a culinary knife maker, but I also cook a lot, so I should do that. And I should show part of my family every so often. And maybe I should tell a couple jokes every so often. And I just wonder. You know, it makes me because thinking about demographics and stuff like that. Yeah, I wonder how if I'm doing it right. Honestly, I think that you know, like I think that generally, you know, people nowadays there's so many brands that are built around the person and less around the actual thing. You know, and I think that you know, if if you're if you're asking me about kind of your content in particular and like I know you as a person and I know the the you're not a knife maker because you thought knives looked cool and you wanted to make cool looking knives right like you're a you're a tool maker your tool just happens to be a culinary tool you know that's the way that I always looked at like your your stuff and and you you have this element of art in you know your series and the watercolors and the handle designs I feel like the you know you're not you're not selling people on the like oh look at me making this one million layer of damascus and the making of the steel is the story right i think that for you it's it, it is the cooking and it is the 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 use of the tool as like something that a professional reaches for you know like because if i'm a if i'm so like if i'm a new if i'm not a chef and i'm a new customer of yours right i'm a guy who's into cooking and i I love cooking and uh, I want to treat myself to uh, a knife maker's knife, not a not a, a store or a, or a brand name knife. I want to know that it's a knife that is that other professionals are using and that a professional that cooks is making because he he thought it would be a better way to use it. You know, right. like that's the way that I look at it. And and I and I think that you know like you have you 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 hit a price point that is is better i've seen because i've looked at your knives and your prices and i always am impressed that you keep your knives affordable in the world of knives that are just ridiculously expensive which some of them deserve to be and i don't i think some of them don't but i think that if i were you i would leverage my social media to just share the story of why I make these things and how I use them as a professional or better yet, how other professionals use them like in, in their own work and, and whether, whether that's through them sending you a video or a photo or you going to them um, and then you being able to have this catalog on your social media that's showing, Hey, these aren't just beautiful knives, but they're also like being used every day by so-and-so in this kitchen or whatever, you know? It's just something that I, th- I you know, I, I, it's, it's, it's funny because, and I know you got to go, we're going to wrap this up. Well, 
it's funny because I really try to think about am I trying to make a catalog? Because it originally it was like a catalog. Mm-hmm. Like it was a, it was a portfolio. Was Your a portfolio. Instagram was a portfolio. Was that a was portfolio. the point. But now I feel as though I'm compelled to have to do these kind of different videos and different things, and it's just like it's a, it's ongoing. We're trying to do some new things. I'm trying to be a little bit less uh, controlling in regards to what I put up there. But but I in think regards that to the like price, it all comes of- from back in the day. Keith Haring made art for the people, and I always mm-hmm. felt like my sculpture. I want. I don't want to gouge anybody. You know, if I could make a cheaper knife, I'd, I trust me. My business partner wants the price to go up, and I want to like get the price to go down. So, like, <laughs> well, I one of the I, things, one of the things that I, I love, my hands. One of the things that I love about like your Instagram is like when you show that before and after of the of the handle scales, yeah. because like, because normal people, right? Like, I understand what you had to do to get that, right? Because I, I make things. I understand that if you're doing this, like, you know, four-color handle with colored pins, it's a shit show. You don't go to the store and buy the, you know, the the Cosmic Drift colored sheet of of G10 or Micarta or whatever you're using. You know, like, that's not a thing. Right. And I think that for the regular person, like, they don't know. They don't know that you don't just buy... The handle. I mean, half the people that don't know probably think that your handles are painted with like a stripe of like pinstriping paint. Right. You know what I mean? Like, I I guarantee that someone has asked you, "Hey, can will that ever come off? Like, will that ever wash off if I like you know you know mess it up?" Like, I'm sure people have asked Damascus knife makers if the pattern might wash off because they don't understand it. So to me, it's like to bring that to bring that handmade nature back to it, like to show that a knife has to be ground, a bevel has to be ground, the handle has to be finished. Like that's what brings normal people back around to it uh, in a way that Instagram likes to see. You know, like I think that the the people are always come to me asking about starting to make content. And I'm like, every you, you are making the stuff anyway. So if you don't share it, Every minute that you're not sharing a video, right, there's a zillion other people sharing a video. And if you share something that isn't great, it's okay. Like you can make a video that isn't great and doesn't get a lot of views because by an hour after you post it, it's already been forgotten, you know? So it's it's a little bit like it's a little bit like the content is almost vanishing in, in time because there's just so much going out at once. But to me, that's encouraging to just keep making videos and keep just sharing what you're sharing and just allow things to kind of just progress as they progress. You know, like don't, I never, I always tell people like not to be afraid to put out something that maybe isn't that great, which is contradictory to some content creators that are like, everything you make has to be the best thing you've ever made. It's like, well, but sometimes the best thing you've ever made doesn't reach anyone because Instagram takes a shit or something happens in the news or something else goes viral. So you just keep, sharing whatever you're doing and and the the story will kind of like sell itself you hear that ladies and gentlemen chris zepp wants you to show your humanity show your humanity ladies show your mistakes show your mistakes show your mistakes mistakes. everybody makes mistakes there you go chris zepp the unbelievable make everything shop i love talking to you anytime you have an open invite open Open invite as always well, it's good to catch up, man. It's great to catch up. Guys, go follow Chris. I know you follow him. Make Everything Shop on Instagram. Make Everything Shop on YouTube, whatever, TikTok, wherever. I think he's on. I think I'm your only follower on Twitter, frankly. You know, maybe. Maybe. I do have a Twitter, but I really only uh, read 
Yeah, what news. everybody else. Yeah, <laughs> what everybody else is. I don't. People don't need to know what I have to say. I don't. Yeah. I don't say anything. I watch. I you know. I've got a you know. Algor- I got a group of people I follow and listen to the news. Fine. Mm-hmm. Go follow Chris on Instagram. Go follow. Subscribe to his YouTube channel. Tell him how much he inspires you, ladies and gentlemen, and show yourself some yourself your own humanity. And thank you to our sponsors and uh, keep listening to the show. All right, guys. Thank you so much, Chris. It's always a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, Jeff. This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.